just dipping my toe. A splish splash. I wish that there was a way to dismantle the system without violence. Did you say school counselors? Let's uh let, let's let's get to let's get to the bottom of our of our souls here <laughs> in the basement of our souls. I don't want them to be like Orwellian villains. How would you describe your time relative to yourself? Um, do you believe in aliens though? Now I just want to breathe into the mic. <laughs> Let's do it together. One, two, three. Hi, welcome to the community park. Welcome. It's so good to see you again. Welcome back to the community park. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's so good to be here together. I love coming to this space for our community, for everyone around us. Mm, such a nice day today as well. It really has been. Yeah, it's just cooling off, sun setting. Mm. <laughs> We've got a, uh, a really special friend with us here in the park today. Yeah, we do. Uh, it's my sister. Hi. Hello. Hi, Stephanie. Can you introduce yourself for us? Yes, I am Stephanie Vaughn. You might recognize the Vaughn name. Um, I am currently getting my degree in sustainability, about to graduate in hopefully a year, and wow. then go from there. Amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, so, many, <laughs> so many big snaps to that. I, I love to see people. I feel like it's such a growing movement, people wanting to major in sustainability. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a direction that you see yourself taking your degree specifically? Because I know there are so many things. Oh, my God. There's so many ways you could take it. I really, I think one of the biggest things is looking at the community I'm in, like the community park I'm in, what ne what area needs help? Who needs, mm -hmm. who needs support in that moment? So for the area that I'm in right now, one thing that's really stood out to me is the idea of creating compost for the city that mm -hmm. right now we have no access to that. That's a big issue in terms of our waste management. Um, would love to see myself going down that avenue of just trying to see if we can close that loop, be more sustainable. Yeah, and yeah, really bring that to a city that needs it. Totally. I, I mean, that. especially when we have so much waste in our country, like actively. Truly. <laughs> so much waste. So much waste. So much waste. And just like just taking away the food component of it would be such a huge alleviation to the system. Oh, absolutely. And people will pay money just for compost and for their gardens in general or for mulch. And there are things that if you started doing composting either in your backyard or locally, we could easily be creating that in our area and giving that back to the soil, giving that back to our food. So, so easy. Yeah. I hear it. Yeah, I'd love to see, like, the city create a system like that, just like any waste management. Is there, like, how accessible do you feel like it is for just a person to get involved if their city's not that woke? To get involved in sustainability? And, to get involved or in... Or, like, just composting themselves? like And composting themselves? It's, it's pretty accessible depending on how much space you have. Um, that's, it becomes a lot harder when you're in apartments, when you don't have a yard, composting becomes a lot more difficult. I'm all in favor though, of saving all of your food scraps and then just taking them out on a hike, finding an area that doesn't have a lot of view to it. And then just go ahead and dump them there. It's better than going to a landfill. Um, if you have a yard, then it's incredibly easy to either build a compost bin to buy something online. They have so many that rotate properly so you can get that oxygen in there. Um, so easy if you have the space. Yeah. So cool. 
Yeah, and accessible if you don't, which is a beautiful thing. I'm all in favor if you have a banana peel, like throw it in the garden, like throw it out in nature. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of cool when we were in New York seeing the community gardens that would have like accepting hours for those things. They were closed a lot of the time we were there because of COVID, but <laughs> so it didn't really help us. Really, much. they closed community park or community gardens? Yeah, because they're all fenced and they have like gates, and so yeah, they were. I think that there were, like toward the end we could have had an opportunity to like go in, but it was like you had to like be in the fold in order to get into the garden. There wasn't just like open mm. access. Um, I guess I don't know if how, how regular that is in New York. If like anyone has regular access to the community garden at any time, like during maybe even just during business hours, um, which I mean we just like dove right in. But like, welcome to the community park. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about like, uh, especially an environmentalist, what does your like park look like to you? What is your perfect park? Perfect park. Oh God. That I would love to see space for all sorts of outdoor activities, like space to slackline, space to play night games if you wanted to, um, space for soccer, space for whatever can really get community members into nature to appreciate what it has to offer. Um, I would love, I mean, aspen trees are my favorite trees, so as many of those as you can. I hear it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're so cool. You just sit under it and watch the leaves just blow in the wind. It's one of the most beautiful things. Yeah, I feel like an aspen grove park would be amazing. I don't feel like aspens are super common in, in parks. I feel like the issue with um, aspens is they sprout. Um, Wherever. New, yeah, like new little... Um, Little budlings, I guess. Yeah, I think their root systems just sprawl out, and so it's like one big aspen tree, but they just, they run rampant. Right? I think that would be um, anyone's only issue in a park, or why they're not popular now. But I'm a fan of it. Totally. I wonder if there's like a level of being able to uh, train them, or just be like a shepherd, like prune them off so they don't grow in certain directions. So you can still have a soccer field without like three trees growing in the middle of it yeah <laughs> i wonder if they coexist as anything that like they will come up against and it'll kind of like stop their growth you know kind of understanding more about like what because in nature there's no way that they're just going to sprawl out forever mm-hmm. but, like mm-hmm. what causes them to to limit more yeah so a lot of aspen trees a lot of aspen trees um that's a really good question i mean water for sure i feel like having running water is one of the most tranquil just healthy things for the soul um Mm -hmm. that would be beautiful um also i would love to see no roads around the park you know have some sort of like parking away so you're not immediately seeing cars or really hearing cars like you can have bikers you can have walkers but maybe like dirt trails dirt trails i would love that i would be fine with some roads for the differently abled people yes to have access to the same park totally but not like not like a big like for cars like running all through yeah like it. have some pavement a trail so people can walk on it and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah absolutely areas where it like washes out so it's easy to get like down onto the grass and move around or get back up onto the concrete mm. totally parks for everybody yeah absolutely and areas to sit that we don't have those really stupid medians in the middle to try and prevent people from sleeping there. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, how cruel. <laughs> I've seen recently, because I follow a couple uh, uh, leftist meme accounts. Yeah, you do. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they're so good. Uh, Comrade Broccoli, shout out. Uh, like, Comrade <laughs> underscore Broccoli. Um, that, like, talking about this hostile uh, architecture that like a lot of the seats that have those attachments are either like a Phillips head or an Allen head attachment. So oh. if you carry some Allen wrenches and a screw, uh, screwdriver in your backpack and you see that stuff, you can take it, uh, take it off, take care of it. Ooh. If it's not welded on there. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm glad I just listened to that. <laughs> Do with it what you will. <laughs> Maybe some subtle activism, but Yeah. <laughs> Good information is out there. Okay, so yeah, those would be some cool um, benches without those. Um, what do you call it? Hostile architecture. Yeah, without that. Yeah. That'd be cool. Absolutely. Let people stay as they want. I would love to see people camp out there. Like, do it. Get out in nature, really. Spend as much time out there as you want. Like, the idea is about putting like, restrictions on. You need to be out by a certain time. and. Right. Doesn't make sense. Mm -mm. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. So I think that would be that'd be my perfect park. That sounds amazing. Yeah, that running water. I can hear it now. I think that's the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of running water, uh, Utah's in like a huge drought. Yes. Right? Quote unquote drought. Um, and they've talked about like you need to make sure that you are not like watering your lawn, which everyone is. Uh, you need to like make basic assurances so you can like start to limit your water intake um but like the mountains are still pretty green there still seems to be like a fair amount of water and at least in terms of like the the systems of plants uh you've yeah. had some interesting thoughts about what like that what drought means in that context would you truly i mean like even today we were up on a hike and the river's still running pretty pretty dang strong and and not to say that we're not seeing a lower precipitation year but i think so much of this comes back to water management that mm. we have a much too high unsustainable population in utah especially for a desert state too many people of course like you said having lawns and <laughs> despite us being like hey water them less i still see my neighbors out in the middle of the heat watering their lawn every day and i don't want to be that asshole and walk up and like hey don't no but... one wants to have to police each other but we also need people to see like you're literally the fucking problem right now <laughs> like you are doing it exactly um, so people having lawns, people not being mindful of the water they use, like how many times, you know, they flush the toilet during the day, how off, how long their showers are. But I also don't want to blame our water shortages on the individual person at the same time. I think this is a systemic thing. I mm. think us growing agriculture in a state that is a desert doesn't make sense to me. Um, I think we should have local agriculture, but not big agriculture where we're having to dump hundreds of thousands of gallons of water on a single field versus people having drip irrigation in their backyard and growing enough food for the summer. Right. And I've also heard that um, a lot of the crops that Utah grows get shipped out of Utah. <laughs> I heard one outlandish uh, story that um, they grew alfalfa in Utah and then shipped it to um, be feed for cows in Saudi Arabia. It makes perfect sense. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Just like a high desert is yeah. a perfect place to grow <laughs> feed for cows exactly. in a different desert. Because somebody's trying to make money on it. It's, it's not even about supporting America in that moment, other than just taking the Saudi Arabian money. And that was just one outlander story, but sure. I'm pretty confident in saying that the like the cash crop of Utah gets shipped out of Utah. Utahns aren't um, even consuming those crops. Yeah. For real. And then we never take a look at the kinds of food we're eating. Most of the foods that we do eat in a Western diet come from, you know, areas of Europe. Some come from North America. But we really don't know much about what plants out here in Utah natively grow that we can eat. That wisdom has been lost. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a heavy topic to get into. But there are people who lived here before who knew how to survive in this area without any supplemental food. And we've lost all of that. Yeah, and destroyed a lot of it, too. Truly. You know, like, the last, like, bison herd is, like, on Antelope Island. Like, and they used to just, like, roam this area up through Yellowstone. And they've been hunted down to, like, just what's in the parks. Like, yeah. Not to mention all the horrible, horrible things that the colonizers did when they came to Utah, um, to the indigenous people. That's a whole other topic. Um, but like, fuck those people. Yeah, I, I feel like learning how to eat off of the land, see the effect that you have on the land, see the effect that you have on the world around you, like just opens up so much more for awareness of all things. Truly. Like, that's like the, that's like the intro to systems thinking, right? Yes. It's like, how do all these many parts influence each other? All of these small problems that you can treat individually actually are a part of one large system. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know that you've learned a lot about that is, uh, what, what like jumps to your mind when you think about like an intro to systems thinking. I think one of the best places to start is you want to get that experiential understanding of systems. So then when you learn about systems thinking, you really, it makes sense to you. And I think spending time in nature is one of those that nature really functions like a system. You have ebbs and flows, you have you know, one animal isn't just an isolation there. It affects other things. You know, mm -hmm. if a mountain lion is in the area, the birds will start chirping. You know, you start to learn that things all influence everything around each other. And when you see that firsthand, then you learn those premises, you know, and it makes sense. But if you've never been in nature, if you've never really seen that, we operate in a world that tries to look at everything as cause mm -hmm. and effect in isolation. And so it might not fully experientially make sense. Yeah. I hear it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I wonder what is like the easiest way to help get people into that awareness. Because it's certainly not aware an awareness that I feel like the general public has. Or like, even like a, an accessibility to most. Truly. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what that looks like to be able to build that. Like what form of education would be the most effective? Uh, to like help people to see and at the same time like be accessible for everybody like not something that is exclusionary all of these things like the solutions need to include all the parts truly especially thinking about just in terms of like physical accessibility that's something you know i love one of the things our dad does is runs a nonprofit for like it's called chairbound hunters and they'll bring out um disabled veterans disabled people especially kids that have 
um, you know, terminal like illnesses. Or... Exactly. Things that they can't, they can't walk the same way. And he, you know, him and the people involved have invested a lot of money into buying tracker chairs that these people can sit in that will be able to move throughout nature, through rugged terrain to get them to areas where they can go hunting. So and, cool. you know, I... Some people disagree with hunting. I also think that just spending that time out there is so valuable. Totally. I agree. I grew up hunting and I feel like I've I've learned so much from just being out there, like you've been saying. Yeah. Being... What do you feel like is the biggest lesson you've taken away from that? That we really are connected even though like physically we could be miles away that um yeah i don't know what else to say really but yeah. like just that everything is connected even though it may not be in front of your face or accessible at the moment yeah and like you affect everything even if it's like miles away from you like you have an effect on the land around you and all that the land entails absolutely yeah truly i think one story that gave me the best insight into what system thinking is really trying to hit on is the everglades in florida um i love mm -hmm. i love the story because i think like it's the easiest just to to comprehend that when we were you know sprawling across the u.s trying to de develop and you know create agricultural lands and areas we really weren't meant to be in colonize um, <laughs> some would say colonize some would say colonize yeah. i think that's appropriate <laughs> um we managed to get down to florida which before humans really got down there and started destroying the land um it used to be this really beautiful ecosystem it was characterized by half the year it would be submerged mm -hmm. in water and that's the year where you know sharks and top predators are able to hunt more effectively that's their like breeding and feeding season um and then half the year it'll be in a period of um decline where you'll see pockets of water and there will be fish in there and that's when they breed and they will repopulate it's a kind of a break from those top predators okay um really beautiful i wish we could still go down and see it in its in its full majesty um yeah and we came down to that <laughs> that area that had so much water and we're like let's put farmland here that makes perfect sense let's get out the water <laughs> exactly hear let's... me out hear me out <laughs> Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna hear me out, hear me out. Colonized. <laughs> Say <Truly>. colonized. <laughs> yeah, Disney World is a great example of that. Truly. So we we were dead set on making it livable land, so we decided to build in so much infrastructure to be able to hold the water out. You know, this is like mm -hmm. a our ideas of a linear cause and effect. That we come down, we want a certain way of living. So we're just gonna build ways to get the water out. You sure. know, that that there's there's nothing that could go wrong there. Right. You know, yeah, that, that one thing is going to work out perfectly. Um, but if you don't take into account the whole system, then things go wrong very quickly. And you start to see that more and more. So we built an infrastructure to hold the water out. And then we did it so well that we actually started getting really bad wildfires. So then we had to build in more infrastructure to let a little bit of water in enough to not have wildfires, but enough to keep most of the water out. 
Just the water we want. Just the water we want. I'm stressing out. Let's manage the system so intensely. Like Totally. And I think it's fair to say that that's a Western thing, too. Truly. People lived there and were able to be shepherds of the land. uh, And we fucked that shit up. Really. Really, really. Um, So, yeah, we had to build in all of that infrastructure. And then when we decided to get, we finally got to the point where we could build agricultural land into there, we realized that system was incredibly depleted in phosphorus, which based on our kinds of foods that we like to eat, that we come into a system and say, this potatoes and tomatoes and these things all need to grow here. Those need a lot of phosphorus. And this whole ecosystem was incredibly competitive on so little phosphorus. It was actually amazing. Yeah. Um, And... We decided, okay, artificial fertilizer. We have come so far as a society. We have done so much. We can absolutely control this right here. Um, Put a bunch of phosphorus all over the land, and it, of course, seeps out. It gets into the natural system, which allows cattails to come in and annihilate so much of the native plants. Mm -hmm. Um, Freaking out now. Now there is large stretches of Florida that are just overrun by cattail. And... (laughs) So we've done all of this. We've we've ruined the farmland, and then it's it's still like you constantly, constantly have to be investing money into the infrastructure, into you know artificially fertilizing the land. Um, there's so much when we we come into a system wanting one effect. We want to come in and we want to be able to grow food there and live there, and we assume just one easy pathway to that. You realize more and more how many things you didn't understand about that system and how many things go out of control because you didn't see how the system worked and how it functioned and now you have to control everything about the system to hold it in that state you want which is a very costly intensive and unworthwhile effort and in terms of like system thinking it's like again just taking like the whole thing that all works together and trying to just like build a box around one thing and expect it to run exactly the same way exactly yeah. It's the same when we look at uh, studies on rats where they try and take them and put them in a, in a cage by themselves with like a water bottle. And, you know, I know the one where it's like a water bottle and heroin and then see, say it's a functioning rat. It's a mm-hmm. rat. So like clearly since this one thing exists in this cage and it's alive, it is going to behave however a rat would behave. But then you've taken it out of its entire ecosystem. So, of course, if you were taken out of your home, out of your life and put into this white room and you only had water and heroin what would you do (laughs) a lot of heroin (laughs) a lot of heroin Uh, (laughs) yeah but then the rats that were uh allowed to be in a cage with all the other rats like sometimes like tried the heroin and then other times didn't even need it would just continue using the water exactly which i mean that's a that's a whole other conversation about drug policy but Yeah, once you understand that the rat is a creature that exists within a system that is complex and dynamic and there are other things that interact with it on a daily basis that are essential for that rat, you start to realize, oh, we don't know anything about rats. Like, (laughs) Yeah. And to, like, just briefly touch on it, like, if we viewed every person who we uh, perceived as having a quote-unquote drug problem as individuals, we get the system that we have. If we view them as equal parts of a system that involves all of us and when we try to isolate individual parts like we we see them uh completely destroy the system because the system like in florida like we're constantly seeing flooding that occurs or like damages to the ecosystem like once we build a box around a person and see them as an other of course things are going to go awry rather than treating it as a part of the system which needs to ebb and flow and be continually 
supported by the system. Absolutely. Yeah. I think about the same thing with with medication a lot of the time too. We decide it's like, oh, this one pill is going to fix you and we know so little about what humans need. Like especially pills for for health. Like if you're having like bad heart problems, we're like, oh, just take this one pill, it'll reduce your cholesterol instead of get out and walk. And like, I, not that like all heart failure comes from not being active, but we know that stressing your heart, getting your heart rate up is so healthy and your risk of heart disease goes down so substantially versus just let's give you a pill. And of course that's not going to go awry because we understand everything about how the human body functions, right? Mm -hmm. Right? And even more about these pills that we're giving you. Exactly. Just pour a bunch of phosphorus in there. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> My head's full of cattails. What the fuck? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, we know one one aspect of this already existing fruit, you know, will treat one thing in your body. So let's isolate that one compound and realize that, oh, yeah, that one compound in isolation is going to work the exact same way as that fruit in its whole, in, you know, its totality. Yeah. Like, I don't know if totality would be the right word there. Um, yeah, the... We we think we know so much. We think that we can play God, and I really think that's a it's a dangerous pursuit. Yeah, agreed. Very dangerous. Yeah, and we're always just viewing it from our own lens of isolation from everything else. So, like, of course, it makes sense to us to like isolate all other parts of it as well, versus like viewing yourself as part of the system, part of you know equal. And the same as everything else around you, like participating in this system that flows through itself and provides to, you know, the people in it as well as the land around. We all take care of the park and the park take care, takes care of us, you know? Mm. Truly. Yeah. As, as simple as this sounds, I think one of the first times that I really saw myself as part of a system, like where it really made sense that I wasn't just this isolated creature, was going up and sitting by a river up in, in the mountains and realizing like all of the the birds and insects were aware that I was there like they would behave differently in one area and then they'd come close and behave differently because I was there and you start to realize they know I'm here like they can see me and it's so easy to feel so unseen in our society so I think we really do think that no one else can perceive us no one else knows that we really exist and getting out in nature you realize like a bug knows you're there a bird knows you're there. Mm -hmm. They all see you as a part of that system in that moment. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> is that how, is that experience, uh, how you got involved in environmentalism or studying environmentalism? Truly. I think that was the first time in my life that I felt, it sounds, I don't know if it sounds weird to say held, but that's really how it felt. You get out into a space and you really feel seen. You really feel... Like you, no matter what all of the the chaos in your head is in that moment are okay. And everything around you is okay. And everything around you is just existing normally. And you have all these perceptions of everything is going wrong. Like my whole life is, you know, chaos right now. And you get out there and you're like, this river is just beautiful. Right now it's okay. And that really, that is what... Because I came from a very conservative family, um, mm -hmm. as most people in Utah. And it was the first time that I really cared about something so much because I felt like it cared about me. And that's really when I got set off on, I'm going to do whatever I can to help preserve this because I saw the destruction that was happening. I mean, we lived right next to 
to a ski resort at that time and they would go into build new lifts and tear out so many areas of the hike that I would go on all the time. And seeing that, seeing that destruction firsthand hurts so much. Yeah. But like how good are, like what, how much is the season pass? Like, is the food good? Like, is it worth it? You know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It is Nordic Valley. So they have like two, three lifts now. I think so. Last time I drove by, they had another one that actually went up even closer um, to where I used to live. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Making a lot of development, which is, I get from the business side, it it's a great thing. We're expanding our ski list. We're going to have more tourists come in. We're going to be more competitive with Snow Basin and Powder Mountain, but at what cost? Yeah. Totally. I feel the same. Well, yeah. I'm just going to keep talking about deforestation, so I'm over it. <laughs> Truly. Yeah, you say developers, but really we could call these people... Colonizers. Di- Disney World. <laughs> Sorry, colonizers. That was... Cattails. Phosphorus. It is interesting. I do take kind of a dual perspective in that moment too the the ski resorts are also beneficial because even though they are developing some of the land they are leaving a lot of it undeveloped it could be worse than people going up to build houses where then you're building up so much concrete you're taking out so much of the mountainside to build these foundations um totally it is good and bad really pretty view maybe not a good thing to do to the environment like there are areas that easily support human life or like it's easy for us to just be and there are areas that aren't that we try to make support us and break again break that system put a box around it truly i know my partner grew up um right next to a native american reservation i think it was the navajo reservation in in north new mexico and he said his family, and I, I imagine a lot of people in the area that weren't Native American took this perspective, which is really unfortunate that they were, you know, they were drunks, they were, they didn't get a job, they didn't want to work, all of this. And just to imagine what they know their ancestors experienced in terms of nature, that none of it was touched, there were wild buffalo there were wild animals you could go hunt you could bring a lot of pride to your tribe if you if you killed the big game that time you know that's so much life experience to have that now as a native american you look around i imagine all you can see is that's gone like and then it's never coming back right i'm sure it's very upsetting i can imagine and I don't blame anybody for being an alcoholic if I had to grow up in that kind of a system. Like, if I had to grow up with that realization, that would be so hard to want to keep going. I don't blame anybody for being fucking mad about it. Yeah. Like, when we tell people that they need to, like, they need to, like, calm down to, like, get the message across, it's like, how can you not be fucking mad about it? Like, when you are still actively destroying the land around us, I'm fucking mad about it. And my people are the ones doing it. Truly. Yeah, every time I go to southern Utah to go to any of the national parks down there, I always think, like, how different will this be the next time I come? Because it's actively still being developed, like, sacred land. So, so unfortunate. Like, I I see the value in having national parks. Like, we are preserving that land. 
and it gives people the ability to go out and experience some level of untouched nature, which gets people to care. That's the biggest thing that I think our society needs is for people to see what nature means and to care about it, um, mm -hmm. which I think the the national parks really serve that that goal so well. But it, then the, the, the downside is outside of the national parks, cities are getting developed incredibly fast because mm. of course you're gonna have tourists you can make a lot of money on on if you have an airbnb if you have a house there that you can rent out like mm -hmm. what a perfect place to build totally it makes perfect fiscal sense it does because our only metric is money that we <laughs> like to go by yes comrade <laughs> <laughs> truly i mean the american capitalist is destroying america Talking about American capitalists, here's an ad break. So we were talking about um, American capitalists just before the break. Oh, shit. And talking about systems thinking, which, like, capitalism breaks from systems thinking so often, I feel, especially consumeristic capitalism. Absolutely. The level that we've seen today, like, just like single-use items alone that are made out of the cheapest material to produce, plastic. Look. Yeah, like, makes somebody a lot of money and otherwise, like, completely destroys the environment that it's being put into. Oh, it makes, it makes perfect sense. If you're a U.S. business, it costs so much to pay your employees in the U.S. We don't even make a living wage out here, and that should say something about how much laborers are paid in China, mm. um, that you your incentive is to make money and to please your shareholders. So, of course, you want to cut costs wherever you possibly can. If that means paying less for labor, if that means paying less for the materials, if that means, you know, sourcing your materials from areas that are willing to sell them for very cheap, even though they are materials that should cost a lot more. Um, especially why do we have so many so many biddings in Africa trying to take raw materials from them or materials mm -hmm. from them? Truly. And then you look at the the pollution that is created from single use plastics in China. Um, there's a great documentary, I don't remember the name of it, but this man went to um to China to be able to experience these these shops firsthand and in the process, you know, captured on video them for nike specifically burning rubber soles in the street where kids are playing and oh. they it costs so much to add uh wastewater treatment plant to textile factories so of course the the u.s government or not u.s government but chinese government and american businesses are trying to work out deals mm. you know Cut and corners. exactly and if it the product's going to cost more because you had to build a really expensive wastewater treatment plant for that textile factory, U.S. businesses can threaten to go to another country and to take that business away from them. Real quick. Uh, no, like, they will do that real quick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, where are you going? Yeah. <laughs> no, like, they will, they will um, up and leave the country real quick. Absolutely. If their demands are not being met because they're evil. Truly, <laughs> and they hold it over their heads of like, if you if you build in the proper infrastructure to take care of this pollution, like our products are gonna cost more, and like, no, we're we're out after that. Mm -hmm. Um, so it really is the perfect setup if you think about it from a business standpoint. 
they yeah i mean again just like tossing around possible terms for it i you know if someone like the infrastructure of a community and the people inside of it cannot survive without the measly amount that you provide them i would probably call that slavery if you have to put nets oh. on the windows to keep people from committing suicide i would call that slavery yeah so we've enslaved other countries for the means of a very small minority of people getting a lot of money a lot of shareholders and ceos that are just sitting high so high that they're trying to go to the fucking space and then consumers who don't even like the product like it's Mm. so notorious you see something made in china and it's it's associated with it's cheap it's gonna break it's you know not good quality Mm -hmm. and so you get businesses making a lot of money and then products that break really quickly or that aren't that people don't actually really want nor need Mm -hmm. so it's this perfect disaster of like making a lot of money and creating a lot of pollution in the process yeah but like you should Mm -hmm. stop using a single-use straw it's your fault oh (laughs) the way that they put it on the consumer is so genius right that's where, like, I, I, I support the zero waste movement from their standpoint of trying to raise awareness about how much plastics and how much waste that we produce on mm-hmm. a day-to-day basis. But when when we release statistics, like, the average American produces, what, four and a half pounds of trash a day, mm-hmm. and zero waste movement is all about, like, you as an individual should not produce any waste, so you need to spend a full-time job worth of effort. <laughs> yeah trying to avoid any single-use plastics and like that's never gonna stop the producers like they're still making plastic the whole time that you are like going from door to door being like here's why you're wrong exactly and like what what average american has the time to actually be zero waste social media influencers do when it's their full-time job oh they're getting paid a lot of money to do yeah they are and they're typically coming from a position of privilege already like as it was Truly. Yeah, you're not hurting to take, like, a couple months off of work to really focus on, like, (laughs) composting every part of your meal or, like, going store to store to store to find the product that you need that's not in the type of wrapping that you... Exactly. And if you don't live in a big city, like, they all post this, like, just go to your store and use the, like, the the big bulk bins. And I'm sorry, we don't have bulk bins everywhere (sighs) aside from, like, New York and Seattle. Like, they just don't exist. Really, though? Yeah. And even then, not in every grocery store in New York, like, where there are, like, bulk bins. It's, like, like typically, like, the higher-end stores, which are, like, the more expensive stores. So, like, the bulk bins are less accessible to the people who are, like, trying to cut out the production, cut out the plastic. Like, exactly. Yeah, it's cheaper to be able to just buy it in a plastic container. It really is. And so when we've created a, a an incentive for people that it's like you should take on that blame personally and then feel like you are lesser than if you produce waste, we've completely forgotten who the problem, like where the problem came from. Yeah, exactly. And I would also, while we have this time, just talk shit on shareholders really quick. Yes. Yes. I <laughs> am looking at you, shareholders. What the fuck? Get your shit together. You are also a part of the problem. Uh, Most of the problem, honestly. Like, the need to have driving profits 
and and like who are those driving profits going to it's not like the communities of the people producing the stuff it's not the communities of the people buying the stuff your dollar immediately goes to somebody else's bank account mm-hmm. and like an ever rolling like non-stop counts up game for those people and to the shareholders when is it enough Ooh, that's a good one yeah what are you what are you hoping to achieve what does this resource that you are just like putting a big box around what does this resource give to you? What are you wanting to do with it? Because, like, how do you even spend all of that money? You're never going to spend all of that money. Your children will never spend all of that money. But you're still going to compromise everyone underneath you in order to have more. It's a real Scrooge fallacy. Like, <laughs> And from my understanding, I feel like our ideas of Wall Street people is that they're miserable, too. So it's not even like they're happy in the process. Right, though? They seem miserable. They're either miserable or they're, like, the douchiest bros. Like, went to a couple karaoke places in the Wall Street area, the financial district, and the dudes that would come in that you could tell were, like, money guys. They're just, like... Is that a dog? Another bork from our sponsor. Welcome to Dogden. Dogden, the community, the do, the community dog park in Dogden. Yeah. Karaoke bar. Oh, karaoke bar. You can just like it's like a continuation of like the frat and like that level of unawareness, like total frat bros who are just like looking like everyone else is like lesser than, um, or you're fucking miserable because you see what you're doing, but you make a lot of money. So like, why would you do another job? Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because while we're still in the system that we're in, like, having a lot of money makes it a lot easier to be alive. doesn't buy happiness, but, like, makes happiness a lot easier to attain if you can take care of yourself and not have to worry about, like, being on the street. Truly. Being treated the way that we treat people who are on the street. I think part of this is that shift away from seeing ourselves in isolation. Because if you're just worried about yourself maybe your immediate family mm-hmm. of course you're just gonna be like okay i need as many of the resources as possible versus well me having more when other people have less is actually in a way hurting the people who have less because mm-hmm. i could be giving them more i could be alleviating so much of their pain but i'm only gonna see myself i really feel like we make that shift away and it'll change i hope a lot but I mean, so much of our stuff is in isolation. The more that we like continue to like build sprawling suburbs, the more that we like literally box ourselves in and away from each other. I have a totally radical uh, idea on how to fix it. Okay. I'm just going to throw yeah. it out there. We cut down the amount of accessible road usage uh, by a lot, at least. And we invest thoroughly in the money that we would normally put toward road repair and sustaining, as we mm-hmm. would normally, into public transit. Because when you when you ride public transit, for one, your, your resource management is much better because you can transport way more people way more efficiently. But also, in like the reason I think that you see in cities like L.A., Seattle, New York, that they're way more progressive is because you are you are forced to not be isolated all the time. You are constantly around people. So if everybody's taking public transit, you are constantly around those people with no barrier between you. And I think eventually 
they might actually see them as people because they're around them enough. And once we've achieved that, once we see another person as a person who has nothing to do with your like immediate circle, I feel like that's a really quick domino effect into seeing all of the ways that we are broken from one another. Truly. Mm-hmm. I think moving to a big city is one of the ways to really get that experience. Like I know you moved to New York when Hank and I moved to Charlotte. That was exact same experience, not to the same level. Public transport, of course, isn't the best out there, but it was really beautiful when we first got out there because my car was still in Utah. He didn't have a car at the time. And so we would take public transport everywhere. And you got to see so many people that you never do if you grew up in a small town in Utah where it has no trouble, like very little public transport, I should say. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. That getting out and seeing people and seeing especially houselessness, I think is one of the ways that you really start to like, it breaks your shell. And I mean, either you can buckle down and continue to just be horrible about it, or you can realize people are people and there are people who need help. But like, we need more luxury apartments, everybody. (laughs) We got to tear down the old shit and build new apartments starting at $1,200 a month for 400 square feet. (laughs) Truly. Uh, Yeah. When I read statistics like that, like, it's like, this is me pulling this out of my ass. So somebody Google this for me. Like at least 42% of real estate or residential real estate sits vacant in the U.S., which is by the, I forget the numbers, but way more than enough to be able to house everyone who is houseless. Um, which like maybe busing a bunch of houseless people around all over the country to like plop them down in more suburbs isn't the solution to the problem, but rather to think that like we have this resource that we are guarding, we are putting a box around and denying accessibility to everybody who needs it. If somebody tries to build a house for themselves, they're on someone else's land and that's illegal because mm. we like give ownership of these resources that belong to everyone. We all have to survive. <laughs> like the necessity of more luxury apartments is only cool if we're like opening up a luxury apartment complex for people who have never known that amount of luxury mm-hmm. and making it accessible to them. Otherwise, we're just like continuing to build on the problem and that will never fix the problem. This is buried underneath all the shit. Even still, I do want to point out like a, a paradigm shift. I would love to see the country have of instead of really putting the idea of having luxury and a lot and big houses and, you know, a swimming pool and so many resources like that on some, you know, gold shelf. <laughs> like that is what I'm, I'm trying to achieve. We instead really just like focus on the quality of life that you have. Like, do you have community around you? Do you spend time in nature? Do you feel happy? Ooh. Yeah. There's a pool at the community park. Just saying. Does it have a diving board? Absolutely. Okay, I'm in. We'll take a splash later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we can, I mean, we can build those things so that they're accessible for everyone. And then we don't have to hoard off resources that are damaging the environment around it. I mean, I know it costs a lot less water to fill a pool than it does a summer of watering your lawn or even a month of watering your lawn, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure the exact statistic, but yes. Yeah, don't have them in front of me. But uh, even still, you could just not use all that water. There are ways that we can like maybe have lawned areas because they're nice to lounge on, but it's like something that's just like this one spot for everybody. And so we can like divert like this much water to this because it's a really amazing 
asset to the community. Truly. But we don't need to like steal it for everybody else too. Because you can share your lawn. How many people have these beautiful green lawns and never go rolling them? Mm. It's like we could have that at a park and let people go play and have fun and enjoy the luxury of having a lawn instead of just for to one-up your neighbors because you have the, the greenest lawn. Yes. And if someone who doesn't have a lawn tries to go and frolic in someone else's lawn, they claim property of it. They don't even use that resource, and then the other person's going to be punished for it. Like, what is the necessity of hoarding resources? Because like you said, when we try to put a box around a system and make it fit what we want it to be instead of let it be what it is, it's naturally going to fall apart. And people wonder why they're unhappy. It's like because they've also isolated themselves so much. Yeah, they have. Um, recently, I heard the term zero sum. Um, I, referring to resources, like zero sum would be if you had some, then there's none for me. So you can't have any and I need it all. Because there's... It's, it's, I have some and you have none, or you have some and I have none. So I have to have it. Exactly. If it's, if it's suddenly like you're scared, there is, um, you know, lack or loss involved, then you're of course going to fight for like, I need some of this. If one of us is going to go hungry, it's not going to be me. Right. Which is so opposite of what is natural available. (laughs) Like. We've been talking about it the whole episode. Like, there is so much that just goes to waste. So much that is so wholly mismanaged. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Zero Sum perfectly describes why I am the way I am about desserts. Because <laughs> I'm just like, oh, this is so good and I want all of it. But, like, I want my friends to have some or I'm sharing a dessert at the table. But, like, I really want more of it. And they're going to take so it. It's so difficult to confront. I have the exact same issue. Yeah, working on breaking it. But <laughs> a food scarcity mindset. Um, but, yeah, versus just, like, we really can take as much as we want. And there's still be more than enough for everyone else if we're just, like, working together we're filling our own cups instead of exclusionary us them thinking that they are going like them having more means less for ourselves i think especially if it if it comes from a place of like take what you need like and take no more because in nature it's like if you're going up to a a bush to harvest berries and you're a deer you're not gonna like eat all of the berries on there because like put them on a ziploc bag and like save them for later exactly like you'll take a little bit from something but you also know innately that it's like if you take too much you could also kill the plant which then deprives you of that resource and so you really like if you're out in nature you learn that balance of you take what you need and no more than that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how to make nature accessible to everybody while also keeping nature natural so we're national parks i feel like it's there's there's definitely downsides but i feel like they're doing the best that they can Oh, absolutely. They're so underfunded. Uh, absolutely. Like they could be given so many more resources to really be a true example of like what it is to experience the wild. But instead, like the solution, the cheapest solution is just like slap a bunch of more roads in or like drive up the amount of people who are actively coming through who have never been taught how to be a shepherd of nature. So they further destroy it for the next people who come through. I really feel like if you go to go do rock climbing you have to take an introductory course to be able to know how to rock climb mm-hmm. and to know the proper procedures 
I think it's not unheard of that we should do the same thing with national parks. Of we already have a wait list. You have to go through a specific training on why it's not okay to litter, why it's not okay to feed wildlife, why it's vehicle pollution messes with animals, why it's like best to park on the outskirts of the the you know the park and then be shuttled in or ride a bike or go by horse, like yeah. just so people start to understand the etiquette of a park. Totally. And having things like tracker chairs accessible for people who are differently abled so that they can also experience it to the, the best of their ability, um, make it accessible for everyone. Absolutely. It'd be amazing if like national parks had enough funding to have those on stock and then guides to take people out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like the military just has extra money laying around for that type of stuff. Like it's perfect. No, I think they need more money. Oh, okay. (laughs) Some would say that. (laughs) Yeah, they're only like one of the biggest like wedges of pie on that pie chart. Yeah. Imagine if like that was what we started treating... Our, what if we okay so what if we diverted our military culture this military pride of like yeah you're protecting america what, what if we found a way to divert that stream to being like a park ranger to being a shepherd of nature they're like you are protecting america the natural land that is here and you get to like help introduce that to everyone else because that is like experiencing nature freeing yourself from this capital system is what being free is not like again trying to harvest more resources so other people have less like that is the most true form of pride and if we can figure out how to like divert that energy and attention there so that we because you know the american blowhards are not going to lose that traction anytime soon that i don't know i, feel I think like it's we, a good way to funnel that energy totally i like it because it's got to go somewhere. If we just like defund the military and break it down, those people are going to. It's like it's like having a, bu- a bunch of protesters with no place to protest. It's gonna go haywire. Yeah. We need to have a system in place. And I trust that there are people in the process who genuinely feel strongly about. I want to serve my country. I want to help. And totally, they're being met, led by people who don't have those same genuine intentions and it would be amazing to see them in a park where they actually could help protect their country mm-hmm. whoa their Can you boot- say it like that yeah right their boot camp is like them going through and like learning about all the different uh plants and learning about the ecosystem and how these things run and like how we can like observe the ecosystem or be a part of it without disrupting everything else like they do a bunch of hiking I mean, they're still getting all that cardio in. You know, they can still be swole little trail. Truly. Uh, and they probably enjoy it more because I'm like, think about how many soldiers come back with PTSD from having to murder people. Right. Or just having someone screaming in your face all the time, like degrading you until you like break into groupthink. Like instead of breaking everyone down, we can elevate everyone up. <laughs> Absolutely. And like think about how therapeutic nature is. People would probably love it instead of this you spend the rest of your life dealing with that trauma. Mm-hmm. It breaks my heart. It really does. Yeah, truly. I think that we solved most of the world's problems. <laughs> 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 All right. At least um, in theory. Uh, f- phosphorus and I want more cattails. Yeah, yes. Disney okay. World. You took away the right things. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I was listening. <laughs> oh my God. No, but really like, I feel like the best way 
to observe a system is to just observe, not be a, an active part. Absolutely. I think that if our society changed our paradigm of what we think is a valid job, mm. right now it's only about do you create monetary gain? Are you bringing in money right now versus somebody being paid to go out into nature and just observe? Like think about what Jane Goodall did. She made us redefine what man meant because she spent enough time observing apes and observing primates mm -hmm. to see that they build tools that they actually have very complex social hierarchies, that they will go to war with each other, that all of these things that we just wrote them off as like these simple creatures that nowhere could never attain the, the heights that we have and spending time watching them, that she learned so much and changed society for forever. And honestly, those apes are probably so much happier than us who are stuck inside the boxes of capitalism. Shit. When you can do anything, if you pick up a, a mushroom and you're just walking around and you eat it and trip balls as a like as a as an ape, like you ain't gonna be getting problems. You're probably just gonna bring a whole tribe back there and be like, hey guys, check this out. Check this out. Fun Saturday. Hey, so I'm really high right now. Um, come eat these. Dumb. Yeah, it's so dumb. And we really are just monkeys. Monkeys who have allowed ourselves to be put into boxes or willingly or enthusiastically put ourselves into boxes. But, like, we are animals just like any other part of this ecosystem. I think that that sense of othering is another one of the big breaks that people experience. Like just because I, have, I pay, you know, $20 to wear pants to the store doesn't make me any different than a monkey, <laughs> except that I'm destroying the system that the monkey gets to yeah. just exist within. Truly. Oh. I think one of the best ways I've actually loved to see people on TikTok and on YouTube trying to show their genuine passions about like watching nature. They, um, Hank and I recently were watching a, a YouTube channel of this guy who's really into ants, mm -hmm. um, and has like he bought this piece of property that has like multiple different species of ants, and he so spends cool. all of his time filming them with like high death resolution, <sighs> like mm -hmm. what the ants are doing, what ants are going to war with what other oh. ants. And, like, it's building this whole house at the same time just to put in, like, these really intensive, like, I guess, ant cages? Like, ant, I don't know. Tunnels? What you, or yeah, ant something. farms? I don't know exactly what the plan was. He alluded to it a lot, but I was like, look at this dude who just really loves ants and is making a YouTube channel with great videography mm -hmm. and is making a living doing this. It's a beautiful option. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I'd love to see the expansion, too, into the systems thinking aspect of it, of like, okay, here are these ants, and here's what these ants are doing for all of the other things around them. Absolutely. Here's why the ants are beautiful on their own, but everything that they are doing to support the ecosystem that they are a part of, um, instead of the ants just trying to, like, take all the crumbs and, like, keep them for themselves and, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. refuse to... Think about spiders, like, everybody just hates spiders. It's like, no, 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 I want to kill you as soon as I can. Without realizing, like, how critical of a role they play in their ecosystems. Like, they are a top predator for insects. They, mm -hmm. And top predators, that's one, oh, I could go into that one a lot. Because um, <laughs> we... Hot topic. <laughs> yeah, maybe, like, dip a toe. Dip a toe is uh, I that we fear top predators so much that we decide it's best to kill them off. And then when mm. that happens, that 
species below them that were supposed to be held in check by these top predators suddenly don't have something holding them in check anymore, which allows their populations to grow unsustainable levels. And that's when you're going to get disease outbreaks and their, their population is going to be managed, but through much harsher means. Yeah, I don't feel like we've ever seen any example of that in our society. No, no oh. form of a system getting out of control and disease outbreaks. Yeah. Um. <laughs> that is one of the signs that a population is too large, just throwing that out there. Uh, yeah. So I heard a story of um, Yellowstone. So when they, people were, had their farms, the wolves were killing their livestock. Killed all the wolves. Mm-hmm. The elk in Yellowstone were booming after that, just like so many elk they were destroying their environment like the banks of rivers and all of the plants that they would eat like they were all gone yeah and it kind of became a dust bowl for a minute because there were no wolves exactly because like those elk like graze right along the riverbed and then suddenly Mm -hmm. you get so much more sediment going into the river which can affect sedimentation in in um, aquatic ecosystems can can kill fish like because that sediment Mm -hmm. gets into their gills it can suffocate them um it creates a lot of cloudiness so if you're a predator that is dependent on having clear water to hunt suddenly you're not able to yeah all the bears in yellowstone so killing wolves really also kills fish it kills so many things in the ecosystem and we don't see ecosystems like that until we do something destructive and then have it laid out for us yeah because we are isolate isolated and we are viewing nature through an isolationary lens of course we're not going to like stop and watch we're not going to try to like look at everything around it and really parcel out how this system functions so maybe there's a way for us to be able to operate on it, take just enough, that we're not going to destroy it. Is that a dog? Ooh. Oh, letting us know that it's getting a little late and a little hot, huh, Budok? Yeah, I hear it. We should probably take Boo on a lap of the, the park and then call it a night. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's mm. do it. Sounds beautiful. Yeah, thank you for meeting us here on this bench. It's been so nice. I'm ready to go cool off in the community pool. <laughs> I, as long as there's that diving board you promised, I'm in. Absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you again for being out with us, yes. Stephanie. Thank I hope we can do it again me. soon. Have a good night, everyone. Good night. Bye. Woo! Episode one, really, of the Community Park.